G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Coming up today on The Story. The missionaries were the blood bank. So we all, all of our blood types were recorded in the lab. We had a guy who had a snake bite and he needed blood and, you know, I was caring for him. Off I went to the lab, my blood matched and gave him blood, you know, but it was just a really sobering thought to realise, you know, I'm giving my blood to save this guy's life and Jesus gave his blood to save me. The Story. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, today we have part three of our conversation with retired missionary Wendy Freeman, who is the author of the book, Beauty for Ashes, A Journey of Faith and Healing. Last time, Wendy shared about some of the challenges she faced being a missionary nurse in Ecuador, South America. Today, Wendy will tell us some of the remarkable things that happened while she was doing medical ministry on the edge of the jungle in Ecuador. She's chatting with Eric Scadabo, who also served as a missionary in Quito, Ecuador, with the same ministry, HCJB World Radio, which is now known as Reach Beyond. Reach Beyond originally began as an international shortwave radio ministry, but then added two hospitals, one in the city where the radio studios are, and the other is five hours away in a town called Shell on the edge of the jungle. Wendy originally worked at the hospital in the city, but eventually transferred to the hospital in Shell, which she felt was a better fit for her. Now, here's more of their conversation. So tell us about some of the remarkable things that happened while you were a missionary in Shell, near the jungle, on the edge of the jungle. Okay, well, um, MAF used to bring our our patients into us. Missionary Aviation Fellowship. Aviation Fellowship. Um, There were four different missions there. There was MAF and Gospel Missionary Union, which is an American mission. Yeah, remember that one there. And Mm -hmm. there was the Brethren. Mm Mm-hmm and HCJB, and we all had different jobs, and in in many ways they comp- all, we all complemented each other. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's good. Uh, and one of the one of the wonderful things that I remember was when we moved into our new hospital in Shell, that uh, the MAF missionaries took the day off their own ministry to come and help us move. And I tell you what. I had tears in my eyes watching these guys, you know, and I just thought, wow, this is what I call cooperation. Yeah, that's the way it's supposed to be. Um, You know, and, I mean, none of us knew what church we were from. We didn't know what denomination we belonged Mm -hmm. to. We were all on the same page. We were were all there for the same reason, Mm -hmm. Um, serve God and do what he wanted us to do, you know. And to see these ministries complementing each other was, you know, it was really heartwarming, mm. um, you know, and a real a real blessing. So MAF, as I said, brought our patients in. And I remember I was working one day and I hear the plane coming over. Um, the airstrip wasn't far from the hospital. And I could hear this plane. And then um, a little while later, their pickup arrives at the door of the emergency 
room. And the bell rings and I, I go out there um, to see who it is. And they had brought in a 14-year-old girl who was pregnant by incest by her stepfather. Mm. And I palpated her tummy, to felt her tummy to to feel the baby. She, she had been in obstructed labour because she was quite small and the baby wasn't able to be born. And... I felt her tummy and I thought, oh, my goodness. And I could feel the, the baby's hair through the skin. Oh. Which meant that she had a ruptured uterus. Oh. But she wasn't bleeding because the baby had pressed against the pelvic bone and cut off the ends of the blood vessels so she didn't it didn't bleed. Hmm. I don't know whether we should be sharing this on, on the radio. But anyway, it's, you know, it just shows you some of the things that we do get faced with. What happened? Um, so I called out to our Steve Nelson, our, our doctor, and I said, Steve, come quick. And he came and I told him what I thought I could feel. And yeah. he said, you're right, Wendy. Quick, you know, we, we, we need to get her to the operating room. So... Um, we took her to the operating room. The baby had died. She had to have her uterus removed. Um, her bladder had been irreparably damaged, so her bladder had to be removed. You know, and here she is, a little Shuar Indian girl, and we couldn't communicate with her. Hmm. Um, so we were able to get one of the missionaries who was able to communicate and come and talk to her, and she was a very, you know, the little girl was, you know, she was very timid and, frightened mm -hmm. and i mean you know what a prospect yeah. you know here she is she's never going to be able to have any children again mm. she you know she can't pass urine normally and you know all of these things and i mean the only way we could communicate was with love and a smile and mm. care for her you know and she was in the hospital quite a while because i mean her life was in danger yeah she could have got septicemia Mm. Um, you know, as well. And, um, yeah, it was, you know, it was sad. And yet, on the other hand, it was rewarding to be able to, you know, be God with skin on her, to her yeah. in her desperate hour of need, mm. you know. And she would have died if MAF hadn't brought her in mm -hmm. and if our hospital hadn't been able to do what we were able to do for her. Yeah. So you... Were part of saving her life. We were part of saving her life, mm -hmm. you know. And that things like that happened time and time again because, as I said before, people often came to the hospital when it was too late. Mm. Yeah, uh, and they didn't understand, and understandably so. They don't have health education like we mm. do in our country, you know. And these these poor people, you know, think, well, you know, last resort, we'll go to the you know, we'll go to the hospital and see see what, what happens, you know. But I think because they come so late and because sometimes we can't save their lives, mm. the the word gets around, you go to the hospital and you die. Oh. It's not because we haven't done our best. It's yeah. because they haven't understood they that if they came long. earlier, yeah. they would be able to be treated. Now, in the community there, they all knew you were Christians. Yes, so what do you think was the lasting impact of a missionary Christian hospital being there on the edge of the jungle? 
absolutely huge um, because all of our staff, we, we, you know, most of our staff were Ecuadorians and they had been trained by the missionaries. So, you know, they were given a job, given training, paid and paid, you know, mm. a good wage and, you know, all the benefits. Um, and this that, is all funded by donations? Yeah, by HCJB and by ch the, you know by uh, people in the in the states supporting them and other parts of the world, mm -hmm. and you know we had some wonderful employees and very dedicated, mm -hmm. and many of them became Christians while they were working there. Oh, fantastic! So you're not you're just talking about the medical staff. I'm just talking about the medical staff, yeah. but because of the care that the hospital gave. You know, we had hordes of people coming because they they heard, you know, that Hospital Vos Andes in the Oriente, that means the voice of the Andes hospital in, you know, in the jungle, mm -hmm. you know, they'll help you. They'll care about you because, you know, often even medical clinics in other parts of the country were only open during the day. Well, we were mm -hmm. open 24-7. Oh, wow. You know, we had, uh, we had people coming, you know, with burns at, at night time because their house is burnt down or, mm. you know, all kinds of medical emergencies. Um, and we were open 24-7. Wow, kind of a, a light in the darkness, so Exactly. You know, and uh, the missionaries were the blood bank. There was no blood bank. So we all, all of our blood types were recorded in the lab. And if a patient needed a, a blood transfusion, they would do a cross-matching to see what their blood type was and then they would um, say, hey, Wendy, we need your blood today and off oh, you wow. go. And, I mean, that wow. happened to me when I was in the theatre, operating theatre, working. We need oh, some blood, wow. so off I'd go, give my blood, come back. You know, and we had a, a guy who had a snake bite and he needed blood and, you know, I was caring for him. Off I went to the lab, my blood matched and gave him blood. You know, but it was just a really sobering thought to realize, you know, I'm giving my blood to save this guy's life mm -hmm. and Jesus gave his blood to save me. Mm, yeah. You know, it was just, it was very humbling, mm -hmm. you know, and, and very touching, you know. Um, it's the least that I could do mm -hmm. to help save this guy's life so he could come to know Jesus. Mm-hmm. You know, in that situation, I was able to pray with him and read mm -hmm. the Bible in Spanish. Mm -hmm. um, his family wanted to take him to the uh, witch doctor because, you know, we talked about amputating his leg because it had gone gangrenous from the snake bite. And in Ecuador, you know, the family has the say. Mm -hmm. You as the patient don't have the say. Oh, the, the family overrules mm -hmm. what the patient wants. Yeah, well, I mean, they don't get to say what they want hmm. uh, often. So hmm. anyway, I felt like there was a spiritual battle going on in that situation, but God overruled and they did actually take him out to the jungle to the witch doctor, but it didn't improve the situation. Hmm. So they sent him back to the hospital and said, you know, you can amputate his leg, we'll give blood because they, they don't like giving blood. They think it's bad if you give your blood, but they mm. were prepared to give their, their blood. So he was saved? His life was saved? 
his life was saved mm. and the some American doctors in the States were able to get him a prosthetic leg to oh, okay. use back in the jungle. So, yeah. You're listening to The Story. Today, once again, Wendy Freeman is sharing her life journey and some of her remarkable experiences as a missionary nurse on the edge of the jungle in Ecuador, South America. We'll hear more of her story and why she eventually returned to Australia when we return. The Story. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 888. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax and this is The Story. Once again, Eric Scadabo is chatting with retired missionary nurse Wendy Freeman, who's the author of the book, Beauty for Ashes, A Journey of Faith and Healing. Before the break, Wendy shared some remarkable stories about doing medical ministry on the edge of the jungle in Ecuador. Next, we'll hear about her struggle with chronic fatigue syndrome and her eventual return to Australia. So towards um, the end of my second term, which was my first term in Shell, Um, I started to feel overloaded and quite stressed. Now, I was drinking coffee and not understanding that, you know, as, as a child that my adrenal glands were triggering at inappropriate times because of the violence in the Mm -hmm. house. Mm -hmm. So... I was tracking with my foot on the accelerator and the engine running too fast, if you know Mm. what I mean. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's similar to post-traumatic stress disorder. Exactly. Whereas people who are in a war had to be on eggshells 24-7 because they never knew when a bomb would explode near them. So Mm. the adrenaline is always there, Mm. but you can't live like that. No. And so you had to live on eggshells. In your trouble right. home. Yeah. And is that what yeah. you're saying years later that was manifesting yes. itself? It was manifesting itself, exactly. And so when I went home on furlough, I was on deputation and Elaine, my housemate and friend, had arranged to go on a camping trip to s- Central Australia. Mm-hmm. And there's this big pile of clothes on the pool table when Elaine arrived and she thought, who owns this pile of stuff? And I said, me. I couldn't decide what to bring, so I brought everything with me. Oh. And that was an alarm bell for Elaine because Elaine knew that I was a very organised person. I was very decisive. I knew exactly what I wanted, when I wanted, how I wanted it. Mm-hmm. And then we got on the bus to go on this tour and I climbed up Ayers Rock when we got there in 45 minutes up and back because we had been only given a short time. So up I went and back I came and I just collapsed in the bus. Hmm. I couldn't move. And I was on the back seat of the bus and I just lay there like a log. We get to the campsite and during the night 
or just the evening as I laid down for bed, I was started jumping. My arms and legs were jumping and oh. my heart was beating fast. And I thought, what the earth is going on? Anyway, um, after the camping trip, we were driving back to Melbourne in my car and I couldn't keep my foot on the accelerator. The car just kept getting slower and slower and slower. And when we got to Melbourne, I just collapsed. Mm. And I was just exhausted. I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know why I was, what was happening. Um, I finally went to um, the doctor and, and he just said, oh, here's some antidepressants. Huh. But I knew that I wasn't depressed. It was this absolute fatigue where I just could barely move. And um, I was eating and I reacted to everything I was eating, two mouthfuls and my head's on the table and Elaine's got to take me to bed because mm. I had this extreme lethargy. Anyway, cut a long story short, I finally found somebody who said, um, I think that you have adrenal fatigue and, you know, that it's stress-related and as a result of burnout and your childhood stuff and... Um, so that was the beginning of this 28-year journey mm. with uh, chronic fatigue syndrome. Um, this happened uh, when I had this kind of collapse in 1985 mm. and um, I was on furlough, so I had my furlough, but I had to cancel all my deputation mm. that I had already booked, which I felt really bad about because I knew people had gone to a lot of trouble to, you know, organise it. I mean, this was all over Australia. I was going to Perth and, you know, Melbourne and South Australia. Well, the, the life of the missionary is when you go on furlough, normally you visit all the people who are supporting you. Mm. So mm. it's also a bit stressful and that it's mm. a lot of travel. It's not a holiday. No. Well, I had 70 meetings in my first furlough. Mm. Anyway, then um, I had to take a, some leave of absence to get myself well again, mm. enough to go back to Ecuador. I went back to Ecuador and my doctor had sent some guidelines for the mission to say I, I couldn't work any more than six days in a row. Mm. And, um, you know, there's no part-time missionaries, mm. uh, you know, and I didn't feel it was fair, you know, my other colleagues having to work their hours. So, you know, I, I wanted to pull my weight, so to speak. But anyway, everything went pretty well for probably two and a half years, mm -hmm. and, you know, I was reformed um, and a reforming perfectionist mm. and um, learning to be rather than do. Yeah, what does that mean? Um, well, God made us human beings, not human doings. So mm. to be content, just resting and not feeling like you have to do to be accepted mm, or yeah. whatever else. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, you're you're enough as you are. Yeah. You don't yeah. have to do anything for God to love you anymore. Mm -hmm. Right. So that was a, a revelation for you. It was a revelation for me, you know, and um, it was the first time really in my life that I was starting to learn to look after myself a bit mm -hmm. and you know, to, to realize that um, it's okay to be. You know, God had taken me off the front line for a while because I needed to be taken off the front line. Mm -hmm. 
And then eventually your time as a missionary came to an end. That's right, exactly. So things started to, you know, I started to feel like I wasn't coping as well as I had been and my life came to crisis point again and Mm. I said to the Lord, you know, if you want me to resign and go home, go go back to Australia, I, I hesitate to say home because you don't know where home is after you've been on the field, you know. Mm. My heart was in Ecuador. Mm. But um, I said, Lord, you know, I need to have a stronger call to go home as I had to come. Mm-hmm. And he gave me the same verses from Jeremiah 29, verses 11 to 14. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for good and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. And I just had peace that God wanted me to go home. It was a shock. Mm. Because as far as I was concerned, I was there for life. They could have buried me over there. Mm. You know, I had integrated so much into the people and the culture. I had, you know, beautiful Ecuadorian friends and wonderful missionary friends. I have so many wonderful missionary American, Canadian, you name it, friends, Mm. you know, still. I'm in touch with a 100 of them still in the States. Mm. And we were family. Yeah, well, you had gone to battle together, so to speak. We'd gone to battle together, you know, and we we had shared history. Yeah. You know, and they were my family. Mm-hmm. So it was hard to leave them. Yeah, yeah. Hard to leave, you know, where God had called me to and, you know, I, we had all put our heart and soul into the new hospital and, um, you know, and serving God and the people of Ecuador. Mm-hmm. But I knew it was the right thing mm. um, to come home to Australia. And, um, you know, it took me a long time to feel like I belonged here. I'm not sure that I still feel a hundred, huh. 100%. Well, something that helped you out a great deal was your friendship with Elaine. How did yeah, that exactly. come about? How did you become friends with Elaine? Well, um, that happened way back when I first came to Adelaide from Sydney to do my maternal and child health training. Mm. And I didn't know anybody in Adelaide except uh, my housemate who did her general training with me, and she came down here to do her midwifery training. Mm -hmm. So I decided one way I can get to know some friends was to go to Nurses Christian Fellowship, which I had been involved in in Sydney. And I went to this meeting, and Elaine was there, and it was the one and only Nurses Christian Fellowship meeting she'd ever been to in Adelaide, mm. and we just clicked. Hmm. And so we became, you know, really good friends from, from then on. And, you know, she really uh, supported me when I was on the field, you know, um, emotionally and, you know, in every way possible, really. Um, you know, she wrote to me every week, which is wow. a pretty big commitment. Yeah. And in my last... Yeah, in Shell, Elaine came to visit me. Oh, okay. She's not a traveller. She hates flying and she, she's like a she real home. she came for her friend. Well, I prayed probably for 12 months that she would come and visit me and I didn't say a word to her. Hmm. And apparently the idea dropped into her head, presumably, <laughs> as an answer for, to my prayers and she called Barry Cutchie. He was the uh, CEO of um, or the executive director of HCJB at the time in Australia. And she said to Barry, you know, I'm thinking about the possibility of going to visit Wendy or should I just send her the money? 
that my fare would have cost. And he said, it will mean so much more to Wendy if you go than if you send her the money, Hmm. which was absolutely right. And God worked it that she, Elaine was able to travel with um, a group from um, her church that were going to Chicago um, and uh, and then she flew down to Ecuador to see mm. me and it was like heaven on earth for a month. Well, that's wonderful that, you know, hearing your story and how for a long time you didn't know where you belonged and friendships are great. And when you mm-hmm. came back from Ecuador to come to Australia, you had a friend mm. and you guys... Mm helped each other out. You helped her with her cancer. She helped you finding a place to be. And so that's fantastic. It was reciprocal. Unfortunately, we're running out of time, but what are you passionate about these days? You haven't been on the mission field since 1989, Mm -hmm. but uh, you've still been busy in ministry. What has happened and what are you passionate about today? Well, the thing that that I'm most passionate about now is young people, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, mentoring them in their walk with God and encouraging those who have an interest in missions Mm -hmm. um, to seek God as to where he might want them to serve and being part of my the missions group at our church, um, showing them how to pray best for missionaries and Mm to, you know, give them some uh, insider information to help them in their prayers. And to also help them not go through some of the hard times you've gone through. Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. And and I've just actually been to the commissioning of a, a young girl who's going overseas um, as a missionary, and I have been able to share some of my experiences with her and just talk to her a little bit about prevention of burnout, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, yeah. you know, and and the things that I have learned from my own experience that may be helpful for her. So that has to be very fulfilling to know that, even though obviously your road has not been the easiest, but Mm. very fulfilling at times. Exactly. But you can now use all that experience and wisdom that you've gained to help others and, and encourage them to serve the Lord as well. Yes. I think, you know, God's given me purpose in my pain. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, he doesn't waste our pain, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and I, I really believe that all the life experiences that he has given me has prepared me for where I'm at now. And now I'm able to pass on to others and support others who maybe have come from situations like myself mm-hmm. and encourage them, you know, that, that God's God's got us and, mm-hmm. and he, you know, he doesn't waste anything that he's allowed us to go through. Amen. Wendy Freeman, thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Eric. Well, that was the conclusion of Eric Scatterbo's three-part conversation with Wendy Freeman, who's the author of the book, Beauty for Ashes, A Journey of Faith and Healing. As we heard, Eric and Wendy both served with the same ministry in Ecuador, although at separate times. It was then known as HCJB World Radio, but is now called Reach Beyond, Voice and Hands Together. It has now expanded to do both radio and medical ministry all over the world. As a matter of fact, Eric records his interviews in the studios of Reach Beyond on the east side of Melbourne. To learn more about this ministry and its long history, their website is reachbeyond.org.au. Once again, that's reachbeyond.org.au. Well, thanks so much for joining us for Wendy Freeman's story and the many valuable life lessons she's learned. Until next time, I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today.
The story. Just another way Vision is helping you look to God daily. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.